welcome back to Burgers, Beers and Books. My name is Ben the Hobson and I'm here to talk to your favourite authors about their favourite book. I'm extremely excited. This chat was great. I finally got to sit down with my good friend Scott Gibson. We actually work together in the English faculty at um, the high school that we teach at and he is a self-published author and he's a brilliant man. He's a wonderful person to work with but beyond that it's... um. I think it's really difficult when you're a self-published author to really get your name out there and I can't imagine um, how much work it must be to market yourself and do all those things. So I wanted to give Scott an opportunity to talk about his work and talk about um, one of his favorite novels, which is Messenger by Marcus Zusak, which was a wonderful book. And um, yeah, really excited to share this chat with you all. And um, yeah, if you're interested in, in finding any of Scott's stuff, he, um, he has all these things on all the social networking platforms like Amazon and Booktopia and places like that do sell his, his novels. So that's Scott Gibson. And um, yeah, look, um, just enjoy the chat. We're coming up to Christmas though too. This is kind of my Christmas episode. Um, yeah, Merry Christmas to all of you guys. It's been a, a year of doing this podcast. I've had an absolute blast. I've read so many different novels I wouldn't have picked up otherwise and had some really engaging chats with some amazing people. Um, I want to continue doing the podcast in the new year as well. If you've got any ideas about authors um, you'd like me to interview or just want to interact with me at all, you can find me on all these social media platforms. Um, But you can also get in contact with me at benhobson.net. Yeah, really keen on any ideas about how to expand. I've got a special episode, um, hopefully coming out at the start of January as well. Um, yeah, looking to expand, looking to do some more interesting things across the new year as well. But other than that, enjoy my chat with Scott. All right. Well, here we are. Let's steady on, ease into it. Uh, I'm here with the wonderful, I do, sorry, I didn't say this. I do like an intro a bit later on. Yeah. That'll, that'll be a bit better, um, than this, which is awkward and weird. Uh, but I'm here with Scott Gibson who I have the great pleasure of working with every day. Uh, Scott, how was work? <laughs> yeah. Look, it was good. It was good. Busy time of year. Um, mm. 12 days left. Mm. I'm not counting. <laughs> no. So Scott and I, um, we're both high school teachers. We're both English teachers. And we actually sit across the aisle from each other in the staff room. That's great. It is great, and we're both also authors, and uh, I thought I wanted to talk to Scott today on the podcast because I don't often talk to people who are self-published authors, so I'd love to unpack that a little bit with you if that's okay. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, can you just talk how, like, what's your career? Give us a bit of an overview of this, the Scott Gibson, what have you been up to, what have you done so far in your career as an author? Yeah, uh, well... I started off, um, I guess, learning the ropes with uh, a bit of an, a collection of works, poetry and short stories, um, learning how self-publishing works. And I was doing that, I guess, while my first novel, Making Tracks, um, I was waiting for the responses or lack thereof sure, to come sure, back. Sure, 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 um, sure. What was that like? So, so let's, sorry, let's go back a little bit further. You. Yeah. You wrote this first novel. How long did it take you to write that first novel? Was it called Making Tracks? Yeah, it's it was something I was working on in, in bits and pieces for a couple of years, mm-hmm. and I got to the point where I was, I was this is ready, you know, it's as good as I can make it, 
and I sent it out um, and there was a, a competition of an overseas company, I forget their name, um, <laughs> and it was in the shortlist for that, but it was, um, I found out later that they were a, um, a vanity publisher. So right, okay. Backed yeah. right off with that. Oh, well, hang on, um, let's unpack that. So, because I think yeah. people who listen to this, I mean, most people might be aware of all this stuff, but what is a vanity publisher? And um, why should we sort of be watchful for those sorts of things? Yeah, they're people who basically prey on, um, <laughs> on authors who want to be published. So, you know, um, oh, yeah. All right. this innate desire to get our work out there and read by others. Yeah. And they charge through the ear for everything that they do. So everything from cover designing to editing and you, you put quotation, quotation marks, marks you can't see anybody did the quotation marks. Um, and so they do they claim to do all of that but at the end of the day you're paying loads of money for low quality stuff um, yeah and I guess yeah so what you're saying is it's quite a it's a bit of a shame yeah and it's a, that prey thing right like everyone yeah. when you're writing something your dream is to one day have it be read by hundreds of thousands if not millions and a hundred years you'll have died a long time ago but it'll still be on yeah. high school bookshelves that's yeah, the dream yeah. right yeah and so they do kind of offer offer your book getting out there but they just charge a lot of money yeah um and so i guess it's i went through that process and i was waiting for the responses to come back with the simultaneous submission you know some places don't offer that so yeah I got to the point where it's like I I'm waiting I'm worrying about this every day sort of waiting for an email um, and I, I I guess I was real with myself and I thought well even and this is I guess me being a pessimist at the time going even if I was published not many people would probably read it oh jeez um, <laughs> why did you think that I don't know I I was at the, at the time I was I was a, a bit pessimistic. Sure, um, sure. So it's pretty easy though. Like in the in the world of being in the creative arts and doing doing art publicly, like it is really easy to lose a little bit of um, uh, inspiration, or maybe just like, did you enjoy, when you read your book back? Did you like it at the time? Yeah, yeah. Um, but you just thought no one else would like what you liked. Well. I, not, not that. Not that I didn't think they would, wouldn't like it. Um, more about I don't know. I didn't see that I'd ever be like J.K. Rowling sure, or Stephen sure, King. Sure, sure, um, sure. I don't know. So I, I went into and, and I ended up publishing it myself. I didn't hear back, and there was some of those responses that you get thanks but no thanks and yeah, yeah. Um, form rejections that sort of thing. Yeah, and so I. I published it myself, self-published, um, and then... And what was that decision like? Like, was that easy to come to, or did you just sort of go one day, okay, I'm stuff it, I'm done waiting, I'm going to yeah. actually push my own stuff, I'm going to make the whole thing happen myself? And then did you have to, like, do research? Like, how did you go about doing it? It was a bit of both. Um, and so I read some some books, um, and I've, you know, been reading some other ones, mm. like um, John Birmingham, um, who... Um, Claim to fame, went to the same high school many years before I did. Um, yeah. And so he, he wrote one on, on self-publishing and, and that sort of thing. So I just went out and I did it and I 
did everything that I could to try and you know market it and, and everything. What did that look like? Because this is the thing that I've often thought about when I look at self-published authors. Just yeah, how much work it must be to because you got to do everything right. Like yeah, you, and how do you market yourself when you have no that's standing? That's just, how did you do um, that? At the time, Goodreads were doing. Um, the giveaways they still do it yeah. but now it's a, a different uh, structure so they pay uh, you authors or publishers they pay yeah. and it's for digital copies basically and it's only for American or, and maybe Canadian citizens um, but at the time I, I put it on the Goodreads giveaways um, and it's I a good idea someone from Italy um, and she ended up being a book Vlogger, so I'm a vlogger uh, on YouTube, and I watched her talk about my book, and it was great. She was holding it up. I just had no idea what she was saying. <laughs> it, was, it was in Italian. Um, so your first review was in Italian. Yeah, that's um, <laughs> So if anyone can speak Italian and wants to watch the video, um, I think it's book biz, like a, a B B Z Z Z. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, which I found it really interesting that it was someone. Did she was she smiling when she talked? Like it was a positive review, or did she look sad? She she looked happy. Okay, um, okay. It's probably a good review then. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, there was someone else who won it, and I haven't heard from them since. Mm. So, um, but yeah, so I went through that process, and I had people who put it as want to read on on Goodreads and. Uh, did this a similar thing with Bad Luck Bevan, which came out afterwards, and then mm. um, I kind of I lost steam. Yeah, self promoting. Uh -huh, yeah. Um, by that stage, we had our daughter Liesl, so I had less time. Yeah. To do all of that, and so I kind of merged into someone who was writing for myself. Mm. So I was writing a lot more short stories at the time, um, and there was a, a Rocky publisher, Speculate. I had a few stories with them and a couple of other anthologies here and there. Um, and then, so yeah, I was just writing for myself and then writing for the kids as a, a legacy. Yeah, like, yeah, no, know, that's nice. Um, which I mean, is, that's primarily what we should be doing, right? Is we should be writing for ourselves and yeah. hopefully other people like it as well, but mostly it's primarily for us. Yeah. But you sort you feel like you've sort of lost a lot of steam with the self-marketing, self-promotion sort of stuff. I, yeah, and now I'm, <laughs> I'm basically writing for myself, writing for my kids, doing what I enjoy. Yeah. And if, you know, if something comes from that, I'll eventually dip back into the, the traditional publishing market eventually. Um, yeah. Maybe with the fantasy series I'm writing now, but mm. yeah, that's that's where I am and why I am. I why, guess. Why? <laughs> yeah, I, it's I I can yeah I I remember when I first sent out my first books and I got all those rejections and yeah I guess when I got to that point when I got all those rejections my first book was absolutely terrible. It was one of the worst things. I can't believe I wrote it. I'd read too much William Faulkner, yeah. and it was about it was a horror book, and had 19 characters. It was on a plane. They're all ghosts, but they didn't know they were dead, and it was this whole thing. Like, yeah, it was just. It's a little embarrassing to think about it. But it was that practice book. But when I got those rejections back, I don't know. It just never crossed my mind to actually go into self-publish it. I felt like those rejections from the industry kind of meant to me 
like maybe I was more insecure about it or I didn't have as much belief in your work as you have in your work. I just didn't think, I was like, oh, if they don't like it, therefore it is bad. But for you, it was more like a lot of people didn't like it, but there's still something here that I really value that I want other people to experience as well. Yeah. Was that, would that be right? Yeah. Was that your book? Um, was that before the short Because you had a short story that was... In yeah, the it was after that. So I had, a, I had a horror short story published in Midnight Echo. And then I had like three or four years with a bunch of rejections from short stories. And I worked on novels. I would even say, sorry, it would probably go up until about eight or nine years where I wrote four full books. And every time I just ran into all these doors in the industry and they just would not open for me. Yeah. And I tried to do all those things they tell you to do about creating your author platform, which I'm sure you've heard all about. Yeah. And, um, it just never, no one liked what I was doing, or at least that's how it felt. And yeah, I don't know. The, there was only one that I came to where I, where I toyed with it. I got shortlisted for an award for this novella. And then when I went to try to shop it around to agencies and publishers, I just got told, they didn't even read it. They were just like, novellas don't sell. It's like, oh, but I just, I got so close. Yeah. <laughs> um, it is, how do you think you persevered? And how do you think you're persevering now? Or are you persevering now? <laughs> yeah. Because well, that's a big thing, right? And that's something with high school students as well. Yeah. Perseverance. It's a hard skill to find. It's a hard thing to teach. Yeah. Um, I'm, it, it is tough. This year has been... I've just felt myself really exhausted. Um, <laughs> Sorry. I don't, I don't mean to laugh. Like I just That's a laugh of uh, empathy. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get you. Um, and so at the start of the year, um, Liesl, my daughter, and I were, um, she came up with some ideas for, for some stories um, was at the end of last year, whenever it was. Mm. And um, it's about this sort of pixie detective who goes to these imaginary worlds That's and, so cool. and solves mysteries. And so I was writing stories for her and I was reading it to her and she was wanting the next chapter. And so I haven't written it yet. And, you know, how's it going to end? I don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so I was working with her and, and she was giving me some of the ideas and, and that gave me the, I guess, the, the drive to keep going mm. was Liesl saying, well, what's next? Can we read the next chapter? That's kind of special. You've got, you've got the perfect reader. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Um, and she's, she's six and we're reading, like at the moment we're finishing Mr. Stink by um, David Williams. Um, and so I've, I've brought her up right as a reader, uh, someone who loves books. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that, that kept me going and... Mm. That's nice, man. Yeah, That's really a creative cool. creative break, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you do think one day you will take another run at the traditional publishing route? I think so. Yeah. yeah now that I've, I guess, learned more and mm. see what happens. Mm. Yeah. Who knows? Um, just for listeners of the pod, um... The reason Glenn's exhausted is because he does my job as well as his <laughs> job. Glenn is the, um, you, yeah, very impactful. Like, he sends me all these lessons. He's very impactful. He does a lot of work with the year 11s and 12s. Very esteemable teacher man. Thank you. Um, I just ride on his coattails wherever <laughs> I can. Um, but I'd like to talk about that a little bit because yeah. I've been experiencing that myself this year. The idea of having... I don't know how to have a balance in my life mm. 
when I have so many things I want to be great at every day. Like I want to be a great husband, I want to be a great father, I want to be a great teacher, I want to be a great writer, I want to be physically fit and healthy to role model that to my kids. Yeah. And it's just like, there's only so much time and maybe mental clarity you have. Yeah. Like I was up at 3.30 this morning to write a chapter. Yeah. Um, that was silly. <laughs> I was so tired yeah. right now. But I wanted yeah, for you, like, how do you balance all those things? Do you find a balance? I think I look at that as I've basically got two full-time jobs and a part-time job or a casual job. So obviously teaching, you know, that's important for the family because it, it's providing. Yeah. But I like, I like teaching. I love being mm. there in the room and helping the kids and, you know... Um, I find that really rewarding. Yeah. And then obviously there's the parenting gig, which is all of the rest of the hours. Um, yeah, and even when you're here, you're still sort of thinking about things at home. and Yeah. yeah. Um, a lot of cognitive load, as I call it, <laughs> in the teacher world. Um, and then I've, I find I do a lot more writing in the holidays. Mm. Um, or really? Those, yeah. I find I do less. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But go on, explain. Well, like if... At the moment, Jonathan, our son, he's still in kindy, and so that continues for the summer holiday. And so if there's a day where it's like, right, the, the kids aren't here, you know, just mm. my wife is going out shopping, great, I'm going to get some writing done. Yeah. And I'll put, you know, that time in. And sometimes it can just be, you, like, I've got this time, you know, yes, let's get going. And I guess for me, with my writing never stops. Like, I'm always thinking about mm. my stories or what's coming next. And, like, I'll often go to sleep thinking about the next scene. Wow, okay, And that's even cool. if I might not write that, it's that visualisation in the head. you still got it there, yeah. still got it there. And then when you get the time, on it. So, yeah. So, um, so, so, so you sort of don't have, a, like, a routine. You have sort of this, you eck out time here and there, sort of piecemeal styles wherever yeah. you can. Do you find though that when you have, okay, they're out shopping for one hour, I could spend my time writing or <laughs> I could sleep or do nothing. Like you don't find that a difficult, yeah. like a run up sort of thing? Sometimes, particularly this year, that's been really challenging. Like, okay, you know, the kids are asleep, you know, I could, you know, do half an hour, mm. but I'm too tired, so I'm going to read. Um, which is, uh, for me, that's also okay because you kind of, um, I think it was Claire Christian who um, she called it something like a creative break or something mm -hmm. um, and basically refilling the creative pot or kettle or whatever you know metaphor you want to yeah, use yeah no I like that and so I've been reading a lot um, something like a hundred books this year with myself really? well wow, also reading to Liesl as well mm. um, that's our bedtime routine and that refills yeah, thing, and so I've always got this yearn to want to write out the story, but mm. sometimes I just have to sacrifice that for real life and know? for you know, like looking after yourself as well. Yeah, because burnout can be very real. Um, yeah. A lot of teacher burnout. Um, well, thank you for that. Um, we're here to talk about one of your favourite books of all time. You've got a couple of copies in front of you. Yeah. So we're here to talk about The Messenger by Marcus Zusak. Am I saying to you? Yes, Ma Marcus Zusak. I got it right, cool. Marcus, if you're listening, I love you. He does, yeah. 
He does. He teaches your book. You teach. We have his book in Year Nine, right? Is it Year Nine? The book uh, thief. I haven't taught Year Nine, but they do use the book thief. Book thief is in yeah. Year Nine but curriculum. I've taught it for seniors before, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Marcus, if you're listening, the Year Nines, I think, mostly enjoyed it, but they did not like that it was near 700 pages. <laughs> they don't like the, any length of time for reading, but once they get into it, they love it. Um, but yeah, The Messenger. And can you talk us through the copies you have? You've brought them with you here. Yes, yeah, so I've got two copies. One is the first copy I bought. You can still see the, the sticker from the second hand, second hand bookshop mm-hmm. at Carrara Markets on the Gold Coast um, sometime back. I found the receipt. It was like 2006 or something like that. Right. Yeah. You kept receipts from 2006. Well, it was in there and I was oh, okay. reading it and I was like, <laughs> that was, um, yeah. Um, and then the other copy is also The Messenger, but it's from back in 2020 in the COVID lockdowns. And uh, Marcus did a lot of work with his local bookshop, Gertrude and Alice, I think. Hopefully I'm Where's that? that. Uh, Bondi. Oh, okay. Uh, and they would, he would go down, he would sign a couple of copies, and they'd go up. And I was, I saw that, um, I, I need a copy. Yeah. Uh, so I ended up with three signed copies um, from Messenger, wow. Bridger Clay, and I feel like it's Fighting Ruben Wolf from his first okay. books, a trilogy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I love it because it's got a picture of, um, of a dog. And of course, the doorman is a key character in. The doorman is yes. In the messenger, yes. Um, but the reason I bought the book, um, if I can tell the story, yeah, okay, that's why we're here. Um, yeah, talk about it. So I was in grade eleven, um, and he came round to talk to our school as, a, as an author talk, and I was invited along. Uh, and he was talking about um, a burglary at his house. He came home and his, his house had been robbed, um, and he asked us. Um, I can remember this bit. He asked us which bits were false. And I tentatively put my hand up and guessed. Great, great. I yeah, I, I can't remember which part I guessed. And he's like, no, that's not it. I felt really, really bad because I got the answer wrong. Like, here's, here's this author and he's talking about... And you failed you know, to impress. I failed. Yeah. <laughs> um, we can talk about the failing later. Anyway, mm. um, so he, he taught me a really important lesson about writing. And that is basically that anything can be turned into a story. If you look for the interesting parts, mm. you look for the interesting people and the the interesting parts of the story. And I thought that was really interesting. That was what I got out of his author talk. Were you writing back then? Like, were you already thinking about writing? I, as a kid, I I used I was a lo- lover of Goosebumps, so I loved. Oh yeah, yeah. R.L. Stein, man, I love Goosebumps too. Yeah, you know, easy to buy for Goosebump books and the Goosebump hat and key rings, all that stuff. Oh so, right, yeah. every every yeah, birthday, yeah. nothing Goosebumps memorabilia. So I, yeah, I wrote a, a couple of uh, crappy Goosebumps style stories as a kid, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't do anything in high school other than for assessment. Um, and then I was walking through the Carrara markets, and I was in uni and um, with some friends, and I saw this book, and I thought that's. That's the one that that author dude. That's that awful guy who was mean to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I picked it up and I bought it and whole seven dollars worth, which you know back in two thousand six, lot of money I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and I I took it home and I read it, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it and I fell in love um, with just his writing style. 
So I looked up and, and got the other books at the time. Were you, sorry, can I ask, were you much of a reader at the time or was this the book that sort of set you on your journey to like reading is really important to me? I, I was a, a big reader beforehand. Yeah. Um, but I guess this expanded at the time, Goosebumps, what I'd read for school, you know, um, The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Was pretty much like my reading expanse at the time. Yeah. And then after I read this, um, I guess I started to venture out to more works. So I guess you could say it, you know, sparked my yeah love of other stories. Yeah, yeah that's cool. That's cool. Um, and what is it that you think you first made you fall in love with this particular book? Like, what was it? Was it the tone? Was it the style? Was it the story? Was it? There's a lot of heart in it. Was the twist sort of a twist at the end, but not really? It's sort of like a yeah. a meta thing. But what was it that made you really love it? I think I loved all of it. So he writes with such beautiful description, and everything is you know um, using vivid imagery and mm. metaphors. So I loved I love his style, and I still do. But I to me, like to talk, sorry, just to yeah. just to talk about that, like I feel like his style, yeah, I would say it's very profound, very beautiful, but it's also very simple. Like it doesn't feel like he's putting on airs. It feels like a real character. It feels yeah. like a real person. It's not this fancy pants person. It's like the metaphors are accurate and beautiful, but they're also down to earth. Do you do you agree with that? Or yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I found that really uh, appealing about his style as well. But go on. What else was it about it? Uh, I loved, I love the characters in this. There's such a wide range of characters, um, you know, and he delivers the messages to to help each mm. each of these people plus his friends and yeah, each of them felt really real, and even the ones that I guess were the the less nice of the characters, um, you still understand them, you empathise with them, and you and you. Mm. I guess fall in love not yeah, fall in love yeah. like marry me but you know no, yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I get you you really start to feel that they're real people yeah yeah. and then I got to the end um, and the message of it is beautiful uh, do we give out spoilers yeah or? well it's a book that yeah. came out in 2000 and whenever when was it out it was like 2000 actually I didn't do that part of my research uh, this time uh, glad you see Glenn does all the jobs I do nothing so it was 2000, oh, that's a good question. I have it written down, but... It's early 2000s, no, right? Uh, 2002. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, let's go back, because I do want to very quickly talk about what the story is, and then we can talk about the ending. Yeah. Because some people might not have read it. He's mostly well known for The Book Thief. This was the book that came out before The Book Thief. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the better older brother. The better well, older I'll, brother, I'll, okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll say that You'll with... Say it. Um, it's the hill that I'll die on. Yeah, okay, wow, okay. Um, yeah, so the, the story is really about this character who is... His character named Ed, and he he foils this bank robbery at the start. Yeah. It's really fun opening. I was straight in there. Yeah. Um, it was really great to go in and just... It was straight into the action, I love that. And then we soon get... Like, he foils this bank robbery, and then for some reason these mysterious cards start to turn up in his life. Yeah. And sometimes they're delivered and sometimes he finds them. They're very mysterious. We don't know who's leaving these cards, but the cards always have some clues on it 
about some people he has to visit. And it's sort of like he just intuits that he has a job to do in these people's lives. Yeah. But it's never really directed. It's never really, you know, there's not a... There's not a person telling him he has to do it. He just knows what he has to do when he has to do it. Except for the um, um, the, the guys who come along, Daryl and Keith. Oh, sure, yeah, the yeah. Henchmen the henchmen thugs. The henchmen thugs. A bit of a push in the right direction. Yeah. But they, even they only come in... They weren't from the start, though, were they? They came no. in a few, few cards in. Yeah. Well, he starts by going and visiting. So the first three are addresses on the... Um, on the diamonds, and so it's you know part one, the first message, and so mm. it's 45 Edgar Street, midnight, 13 Harrison Avenue, 6 p.m., and 6 Macedonia Street, 5:30 a.m. Yeah, and so he visits, he visits them as you would, I guess, out of curiosity, uh, and finds that the midnight one is there's some domestic violence stuff happening there. So he leaves that and goes to the next one, which is um, the the old lady's a bit lonely, old Millie uh, Miller. Yeah. And yeah, that's really sweet, that little relationship. Yeah, and I think it's from that that you go, why is he getting these cards? What? Yeah. With the, yeah, and that was, I guess that's the part of it that felt a little, that set me off on this idea of like this magical realism thing. Because it didn't feel, it didn't feel like that would be something that I would do. If I got a random card, would I then go and look at it and have this weight of significance attached to it? And then would I go and visit the places that it said for me to visit? And then would I intuit that I had to spend time and pretend to be this lonely old lady's dead husband who died very many years ago? Yeah. Which is kind of the part of it that I found that was the most appealing. Like, I really thought that was quite beautiful that he was always looking for... I mean, this is sort of the theme of the book a little. He's looking for purpose in these little moments. Yeah. Would you say that that's true? Or did you... I was on long for the ride, yeah. but I could see some people going like, well, what's this? Like, why is he getting the cards? I, I agree. I probably wouldn't do much about the cards simply because of time and <laughs> laziness on my part. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm all the Mycroft Holmes and the Sherlock Holmes gets out there. Ah. Um, but he, he goes out, I guess, and he, he likes walking because he drives all day as part of his taxi job. taxi job, yeah. So he walks and everywhere. Um, and he's a bit of a, a no-hoper at the start. Yeah. Um, and he's with no-hoper friends. You know, as, in the bank. As we perceive them, yeah, in the bank. And so I think it's more our curiosity. This, you know, these cards, what, what's up with these addresses? What? Yeah, and this is, we go back to, he's got this relationship with his mum as well. And their relationship, his mum seems so awful mm. right from the start. And we sort of unpack that a little later into the book. But... There's nothing... His mum just keeps on saying to him, like, he, he's got no hope. He's a no-hoper. He's got nothing to do. There's no purpose in his life. There's no reason for him to get out of bed in the yeah. morning. And then these cards kind of start to give him this sense of purpose, mm. I guess. And he kind of looks... I think it's that looking for purpose, which I find really interesting. Because yeah. I think, you know, it's really easy in our lives to forget what our purpose is I think or forget, like never even find what it is or always wonder like yeah. what if I yeah what should what extra can I do to give my life a little bit more meaning versus survival so right from the start it is kind of locked into this survival thing and then eventually these cards kind of force him to go out of his comfort zone a little bit mm, and then every single one of them he enriches the life of someone else but he in turn is enriched, I think. 
I think that's what kept him going is he started off with a curiosity and then he had the satisfaction with Miller mm. and then um, with Sophie in the running shoes. Yeah. And when he had those beautiful moments of like it wasn't even he didn't even do anything for Sophie. He gave her an empty box and mm. said run with these. And that's, that was his gift. Yeah, so the story with her was, though, that he watched her run, which is a bit weird. <laughs> but he was watching her run, and in the morning she was really free because she had no shoes on. Yeah. And then when she was running in races and stuff, she would wear shoes and she felt more constricted. Yeah. And so he felt his mission was to give her permission to be herself a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And then she also has a connection with him where she's, like, appreciative of this gesture. Yeah, it's a strange one, isn't it? Because yeah, it's a strange book. Like, there's a lot of weird little bits like that, I yeah. found. Where you're like, I don't... Why does she care? But it's like, there's this permanence of meaning on all these things. And all the characters kind of have a sense that this is significant and important. With no one telling them that. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. Like, I like that. And it's very... It, it reminds me of sitting, you know, in a cafe or something. And you're watching people and, you know... I don't know if you are a people watcher. Um, mm. Not like stalker wise, I'm not stalking anybody. Make that clear. But you know, you look at them and you, you try and work out something about them. Mm. You know, oh, that, that person's, you know, an accountant because whatever. Um, and so it, it seems a bit like that. You're watching these people. Um, and I think that's that curiosity in others. And then he has the satisfied moments. And it's kind of like, um, you, you watch Bluey, you know. In, of course, I watch Bluey. Um, in the duck cake episode, and, and Bluey's tail starts wagging because she's helped someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I feel like that's it. His tail was wagging, <laughs> and he wanted more. He craved yeah. that significance and that that feeling you get just by helping others, just for the sake of mm. that. Do you think that's what drives? artists to make art and writers to write and painters to paint do you think that's a little part of it I think wanting so. to help people but wanting to help the world a little bit i think so in some cases in you know i i can write words or i can draw if this brings someone joy or even if it just brings me joy then yeah. it's better for existing and mm. i think i i like to tell kids that like be proud of what you've got because this didn't exist before you made it. So when they're writing a short story or whatever, it's they might not like it as much as you know. It's oh, it's it's crap. But then you 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 go well. This didn't exist before you made it. Yeah. And so it's it's beautiful just for existing in that way. That's kind of nice. Yeah. Yeah. I always just tell them that they're worthless. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't, guys. <laughs> Education, Queensland on the pod. I don't do that. I'm very supportive as a teacher. Um, I'd like to talk... Well, it was... Because there's really... There's sort of... It gets a bit murky, but there's sort of 12 distinct missions yeah. that he goes on. Because you've got four suits and there's three per ace of that suit. Um, were there any that you really felt attached to? Any of the stories that you thought were really interesting that you'd like to talk about? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, that, that's... That one was the diamonds. And then he goes into the clubs, and I guess this is the last one before he gets into the personal ones. Yeah. Um, and so he, he goes and he gets boys to basically beat him up. So yeah. They've got that sense of brotherhood. Yeah. Um, Which is a funny one. He helps the priest. And I, I found the priest, um, Tom O'Reilly. 
to be such a really interesting character because it's almost subverts the expectations of what mm. we expect priests to be. Mm. He's living in this rundown neighborhood, and there's the three guys who ask him for his coat and whatever. And he, you know, he swears, and um, he's a real person. Yeah, yeah. Who's a priest, and he's got a brother who they don't see eye to eye. And I wonder whether um, with with the priest Tom O'Reilly, whether the mission was actually to get the people into the church, yeah, or to get him to reconnect with his brother. brother yeah, yeah, because he he decides to run a, a event where he gives out free beer. Free food, yeah. Free food. All the things that people come for, yeah. And then get more people into the church. Yeah. Um, and then so he can he can preach his word from the from the pulpit, I guess. And then um but his brother does come along and um it does reinvigorate the priest, but you don't yeah, that's interesting, hey, you don't know whether um old Ed actually got it right. Mm. Whether he needed to just get the other guy there, but you know, in the end he did the thing that helped the thing anyway, right? Yeah. And then there was a the family with the Christmas nights. Um which was after, but the, the lady with the ice cream. I found that really sad, that story. Yeah. That she's got the ice cream for the kids. She never gets one for herself. Yeah, yeah, that was an interesting one. And, sorry, and the reason was, like, her husband wasn't there much. He was working. I forget why she, her I, husband I, wasn't I there. I feel like the, the father wasn't in the picture at all. Yes, he was absolutely absent. Yeah. And so she could only afford to buy her kids ice cream and she could not buy one herself. Yeah. And then Ed buys her one, and it's this lovely little moment where someone reaches out and just offers a bit of kindness to her. And then in there's another section later on where she pops back up into the book and she gives Ed an ice cream, right? At the Christmas markets. Yeah. yeah. And then is that that's the last time she's in the book? Yeah. That is an interesting one, isn't it? It's, it also, I guess it also brings in the, this community mind. Hmm. For them, I guess, for them all to be at the Christmas market, essentially, and, and for her to see Ed, you know, through the crowd and to buy him an ice cream. Yeah, but you don't, you don't know, you don't know what that gesture from Ed actually does in her life. Like, he doesn't follow her. We don't get a follow-up about this reinvigoration. It might not be right, but it's just this small, it's a small thing. Yeah. And sometimes those small moments are the most important to us, I guess, to yeah. keep us going. Um... Can we talk about his relationship with Audrey? Do you think this is a book... Because I've seen this marketed as a young adult book. Do you think it is a young adult book? I, I think it's more of a new adult book. So that's... <laughs> I, I, I haven't heard that phrase before. New adult. Is that a thing? I've I read it somewhere. So okay, true, yeah. yeah. So uh, it's I like think... a person who's like 18 and roughly, or 16 and... Yeah. Is that what you mean? Of, yeah, they're past the young adult aspect. And it's that period of time I guess well I guess well most of us go to uni or start you read the book which makes sense then I guess (laughs) which I I guess I was a perfect target target market for it yeah um but yeah I mean this the my first cover has the children's book council of 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 Australia shortlisted book yeah and I feel like it is marketed young adult but I feel like now it would be new adult yeah yeah, it just it it just it did seem that like the themes were a bit weighty, and there was a bit there's a few things in there. I was like, oh, I don't know whether um, young adults, young young adults, would really get as much out of it or enjoy it yeah. as much. Well, Ed is what twenty nineteen or twenty. Himself. Well, he's he's got a job. He's it's sort of um, like this. What what we're talking about, like this lack of meaning. Yeah. Like teenagers, I don't think are thinking about that stuff just yet. It's no, sort of it's when they start to yeah, yeah, 
when they have to decide their own futures for themselves is where it's like, well, what do I do? Yeah. Um, so with Audrey, I wanted to talk about his relationship with Audrey because most reviews on this book are very positive, but there were a few that were like, his relationship with Audrey is mostly just sexually based because yeah. he often just talks about her physical attractiveness. I don't know whether I agree with that. Like, I thought he saw a beauty in her, in her, like, in her character. And I thought that was, it was much deeper than just surface level. But I can see that critique as well. I was wondering what you thought of that whole thing. I, see, I think they're the best of friends. And there's a quote in there something like, no matter what, they, you know, that him and Audrey would be fine. And yeah, I, I feel like they are best friends. But I also think he was jealous of all the other... Um, hey, mate. Sorry, man. You're all right. Thanks. Um, I feel like Sorry, was, just on, on the pod, we've got the cleaners trying to come into the classroom. <laughs> um, so I, I feel like he's jealous of all the other men. That Because um, she has a bit of a, a short turnaround. And so the, mm. in, in the book, she's going out with one of the other taxi drivers. And when he's... You know, when he goes to her place and he sees her there, he obviously loves her, not just for physical... Some no. But it's almost like he can't give the words to the, the personal attraction he feels to her, that he just loves who she is. Yeah. And it's like, because he's a bit younger, perhaps, the only words he has is about longing for her physicality. Does that make sense? Like, I, I always felt... There was a lot that was unsaid in their relationship. Yeah. I think the other side of it is that Audrey is someone who comes from, uh, I guess, a, a dysfunctional family. Mm. And he mentions that to, to her lover at the time that she, she'll never love him. It'll always just be physical because she pushes people away. Mm. Whereas Ed is the only person who's she's let into her, yeah. you know life on a personal And you level. see that too, how much she trusts him and yeah, yeah, cares for him. Yeah, I think it's a bit deeper than just the surface level reading. I can see that critique, but um, there's a lot unsaid. There's a lot of subtext there, I think, in that relationship. Yeah. Um, can we talk about the... Let's get to the ending. I'd love to talk about the ending because it was, again, if you go on the reviews, that's the thing. It sets people off, yeah. It sets people off. They either love it or they hate it. Yeah. Um, so just, just, do you want to describe the ending to people if they haven't so, read the book? Yeah, so the ending is he's finished his messages um, and, you know, he's, he's finished up with his friends and he finally finds out who's been sending him the messages and it's this author kind of dude. And I feel like it's Marcus putting himself in in this kind of... It's 100% Marcus. Breaking the fourth wall. It absolutely thing, yeah. is, yeah. And basically saying, no, you're... I've planned all this out. Here's all of my notes on it. Um, and, and Ed realising that he's, I guess, in this weird situation. A character in a story. Yeah. That's how I read it. And I, I, I guess what I love about it is... I had to go back and reread it because it mm. wasn't what I was expecting. No. And when I reread it, I was like, that's, that's really cool. Because he kind of points it out like, well, when, when you were struggling, that's when I was struggling. So I put these things in to get you moving. Yeah. I thought it was cool too. I thought it felt like Marcus was saying, 
and you'd be, it'd be very interesting to, to talk to him about it. But I thought it, it felt like he was saying, this story exists for me. <laughs> it was like, I put all these things in here because I was the one who needed to hear it. Yeah. And then at the end, when he comes in, he says, I made you do all this stuff because I needed to see that these things were possible, that you know this type of magic existed. It made me go, oh, so he, he's sort of claiming ownership of the, the meaning of this story. And it does make you take a step back, like this whole book exists for Marcus to be inspired and he needed it as a tool. Well, yeah, I mean, he tells us in the last line, you know, or the last lines, I'm not the messenger at all. I'm the message. <laughs> so like, It's good. It's good last line. Um, yeah. I And it's called I am the messenger overseas. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I love the ending and it's I, I feel like it's those people and maybe I'm, uh, you know, uh, guessing. Oh, uh, guessing. Yeah. So I was going to say um, biased. <laughs> like those people who don't like it, maybe don't quite, they were like me that first time going. Didn't what? understand That's, it. Yeah. Yeah. Reread it, it. You don't think it does sort of undercut the story because what he's saying is he's peeking out from the book to say this book's not real and yeah. right and so when you've read and you've gone on this journey with Ed and you're feeling all cathartic and everything's gone well and you're feeling hope again and inspired and then this guy comes in and goes ah everything you just read I made up completely don't, do you see what I'm saying like don't you think that could spoil I, it a little bit I guess so the way I see it though is that um, even a non-fiction book is part fiction yeah um but who's when we read other books, we know that it's fiction. But yeah, it's, but it's that spell that people have, right? It's that human nature, though, and it's that, to question guess, that. Yeah, it it seems real, and um, um, I, I guess the the quote where he says, "If a guy like you can stand up and do what you did, maybe everyone can. Maybe everyone can live beyond what they're capable of." Mm. And so, while we know that it's not real, if if we can apply that to our own lives, where can I help other people? Mm. It might come from um, fiction, but I guess what I'm telling Liesl, you know, is that fiction is learning through imagination rather than learning through, you know, real, mm. realistic, mm. real life. Yeah. And I think that's what we're doing. Yeah, and that's what, the, that's what he's sort of sticking his head out to say, is that this is okay, this is good to actually enjoy this, but it's also let's let's do something let's do something with it yeah yeah that's true and i also felt like he was sort of saying to us it's like it's okay to need this it's okay to need to be to find joy and find hope and find inspiration like it's i needed it yeah. <laughs> you know like you can need it too it's okay especially in this kind of time like when i reread it i haven't read it for a few years um i think the last time i read it was to to jess when lisa uh, when she was pregnant with Liesl. Yeah. And I was rereading it and I just, I loved every moment of it and it made me re-look at life, I guess, and mm. have more vigour for life. Well, that's a pretty remarkable I book guess, that can yeah. do that. Yeah. There's a few, there's few books that can really do that to people, I think, is reinvigorate, like that's a great word, to reinvigorate them in their purpose and yeah and it does like i think it's very easy in our lives to get bogged down into just going through the the motions right but you know we're, we're teachers 
And there are times where we come into the classroom, we've got to get this assessment done, we've got to look up on the board, we've got to get the learning goal, like it's bump, 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 bump. We have 90,000 different things we have to do and demands from 24 people like pulling on us. But then you'll find like a a little kid just saying to you or having self-doubt and you get to choose in that moment to make that moment significant or not. And if you can make it significant for them and say, hey, you're okay, okay to not do well all the time we'll work through this together like two seconds sometimes right but i think books like this can help you see where there are find those moments more easily yeah and even with family friends i think is Mm. the best message is that sometimes we don't know our friends' stories or mm. our family's stories. Like, he doesn't know that his mum was dating and had yeah. an affair with his dad. He yeah. doesn't know that Marvin's got this secret child hidden away that he's been saving and yeah. being yeah. a tight ass. That's cool too, right? Because the cards start to actually impact his personal life. Yeah. yeah. That's true. We don't always know. Well, this is probably the longest conversation we've ever had. <laughs> uh, you know, when work, work calls, the bell... Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's no bell at the moment. Um, Well, we'll finish up there, man, but I want to thank you so much for being a part of this. Um, Can I ask you... Thanks for having me on. Oh, of course. I would love to, though, um, plug your stuff a bit because, you know, we want to get your work out there and read by as many people. Where can people find you on the internet? Uh, So I'm on the... Well, I was going to say the big three, but with Twitter, I'm on Twitter. Uh Um, uh I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook, but I've been a bit quiet. recently i'm still there uh i have a blog um can't remember what i call it now so that's a great plug <laughs> it's a great plug um, yeah but the the links are all on but if we if we typed in it's scott g gibson people can look for yeah yeah and then on amazon and stuff like that they can buy your books and stuff like that yeah amazon um and then depends on how slowly things get out but on book depository books yeah they're all of the big things um all the ebook stores yeah well yeah so people listening at home it'd be awesome to support um scott in in his yeah it i think self-publishing is such a such a massive boulder to push up a massive hill and you sort of always end up doing it alone a lot of the time so it'd be awesome to back um scott and any other you know people authors in your lives you know christmas is coming up but just Pitch Bad Luck Blevin to us. Pitch uh, it. So, Bad Luck Bevan and its sequel, Lucky Buckley, which came out this year, uh, is about a boy called Bevan, and he... Did was, I say Blevin? I'm sorry. That's Bevan. okay. My uh, bad. <laughs> my name is Blevin. <laughs> um, he was born on Friday the 13th and has incredible bad luck. Um, and he, he and his friend Wolfgang, they go around telling... Um, well, some people might call them bad jokes. I like to think them of good jokes. Um, you are notorious but, for your bad jokes. Thank you. Yes, yes. <laughs> lots of puns, lots of lots of humour. It's aimed at um, the sort of the eight to twelve year old age group, but you will probably love it too. Mm. If you're an adult who loves um, puns and, and wordplay. Yes. Um, Dad jokes. But yeah, that's all right. Well, you heard it here. Go um, find Scott G Gibson on all the internets. Follow him on all the social medias. And yeah, thank you, man. Like I hadn't read this. I'd read the book Thief. Um, it was really cool. Have you seen the failureist video of? So it's a TED talk for Marcus Zuzak. He talks about. I did because you put it in yeah. the thing. You put it in the stuff we were teaching the yeah, other day. Yeah, yeah. I did watch it. It was really yeah. cool. 
he talks about failure and, and his process of writing, which um, you know, he likened to discus. So that's a really good video too, if you want to go watch that. Yeah. Uh, those listening. You think he's, he's, he's probably up there with one of the most popular authors in Australia. Would you say that's true? I, I would definitely agree. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. that's my bias of I really love his work. Yeah. But he is like he's, you know, they made a massive Hollywood film of The Book Thief, like he's gone. It's pretty big. Yeah, I wouldn't say he's probably the most popular Australian author. You know, you've got um, lots of great quality in Australia. Mm. But I feel like he's definitely he's the, the best he's, for me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Judgment call. Um, but he's broken through in that mainstream though. Like people yeah. who don't maybe read books might have heard of the book thief and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, Marcus, we're very also proud of you, mate. Sure, you're very much listening to our little podcast. Hi, Marcus. Hey, Marcus. <laughs> we love you. Um, but thank you for writing the book. Um, I actually am talking to it now. The book's awesome, and it was really great to read. And if you haven't read it, you should definitely go and read it. But yeah, um, thanks, Scott, for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Of course, we're going to go home now after a long day of teaching. Collapse onto a couch. Uh, no, I've got swimming lessons. Oh, you've got swimming lessons, yeah. of course. <laughs> oh, I'm the only one collapsing. Alright, thanks man. We'll, um, I'll see you tomorrow at work. <laughs>